looking at? Incoming transmission from Podfleet, Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the fifth episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back at the episode that was Star Trek Picard titled Stardust Rag City. If the internet drops, we have my trusty EBH, Dan Garcia, to help me out, and he is from Trek, Game, Trek Geeks Game Night. And this broadcast is streaming live on YouTube and Facebook and is now also on TrekGeeks.com. Picard Live is a proud, proud uh patron i said i guess you could say of uh fan sets we uh they are our presenting sponsors we uh, love them to death and we'll have some more information about them a little bit later on including a special discount code just for viewers of the broadcast so it's nice to see people popping in to say hello how are you and uh, we have a quite the episode i have to say uh, it has elicited quite the reaction and yours truly we'll see if we can uh, get you through it all so first of all this broadcast will be talking about specific character developments, plot twists, plot points of episode five of Star Trek Picard. There will be spoilers. So if you have not seen Stardust City Rag, please stop now so that you don't have the episode ruined for you. Now we go through a couple of segments as we work through this. We go through the Picard maneuver, no pips, no problem, the Stargazer and supplementals where first we get oriented, then we see what life is like for Picard outside of the Federation. Then we look ahead and maybe a little bit back to see what is to come, maybe what once was, and then a few extra supplementals. And I will be joined by a special guest after we are done doing the Picard Maneuver. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, first of all, we have... An episode that, uh, as I said, definitely broke the internet for a tiny little bit. But uh, obviously there are some uh, oblique moments, as Dan Davidson would say in this. And I think the best thing to do is just to get our bearings first and see what exactly happened in this episode as it is. So first of all, nice to see everybody already saying hi. Hello to everyone who is currently watching. It is lovely to see you guys popping in and out and saying your hellos and everything. And I will be getting to your comments shortly after we invite our guest on. But first, let's get through this episode. First of all, directed by Mr. Frakes once again and written by Kirsten Beyer. So we definitely had some uh, very trusted, tied, tried, uh, tried, tested, and true people who were uh, at the helm of this. And uh, I find that interesting because first thing we get is a Voyager callback, but maybe not necessarily the way we wanted to. 13 years ago, we get a flashback uh, in this collapsed neutral zone, a place called the Seven Domes. And uh, there are some people who are going about some Borg part harvest from some unwilling uh, people and uh, it looks like uh, looks like Borg parts are definitely very interesting both to people in the collapsed neutral zone and uh, I guess if you could consider the cube the artifact something of a Borg part looks like everyone's uh, getting into this new Vogue thing that is Borg things nanotech all of that sort of stuff so I'm guessing something's happened to make Borg bits a little bit more I guess shall we say um, in demand and it sucks that uh, what ends up having to happen is some people have to end up getting hurt for this to occur now 
with the board with the Voyager references and everything like that, I can't imagine there not being some kind of connection there. Of course, with uh, USS Voyager coming back from the Delta Quadrant and having such an arc with the uh, with the Borg themselves taking on former Borg as their crew, there's got to be some connections there. But this scene, especially, I have to say really rubbed me the wrong way the first time I watched it. Uh, I, I couldn't actually watch the whole thing head on. And uh, I couldn't quite pinpoint why. At first I was like, oh, they're Game of thrones it. It's going to be this terrible thing. And, you know, we're, we're just watching more of this kind of in-your-face violent sort of programming. And I guess to some degree that could actually be the case. But I would say that it's in the casual brutality and almost cannibalistic nature that this really is off-putting. We've seen people's heads get disintegrated. We've seen people's faces strapped on to other things. We've seen the Sona literally look like uh, paper mache versions of people. Um, you know, we have not, it's not like we haven't seen gore and violence in Star Trek in the past, but I do think that it's the, it's the casual, almost matter of fact nature. The operator tends to go on when this happens and just, I guess maybe it's sort of a, a, another further telling that Starfleet is powerless in this area, right? You have, I mean, really in other situations when people were wearing these uniforms or those uniforms, and I'm gesturing to the Deep Space Nine Voyager slash TNG uniforms that uh, are in the shot of this uh, of this video broadcast. I mean, I'm pretty sure Echeb and the crew would have been, there would have been at least an attempt to save them. But in this case, it doesn't look like it. So I want to get a little bit more into that later because I think it was meant to disturb us. I think it was meant to uh, bother us in that respect. So... We cut after that to a place called Stardust City. Um, we've got uh, Scott Joplin's Solace playing, which I think is kind of interesting. And there's a lot of Vegas vibes that we get from uh, Stardust City. That's for darn sure. And as a person who has gone to the last three STLVs, I couldn't help but feel seen. Of course, this is where uh, Picard, Sir Pat made his big announcement, and I was in the audience when that happened, uh, standing next to my brother in Trek, Shashank Avaru. And uh, shout out to him on that, and uh, he's doing a fine job on Polytrex right now, and I will be returning back there shortly, so uh, everyone, don't worry. Um, the uh, the talent will uh, be returning soon. I'm kidding. He is killing it with Ali and very very happy about that so seven is a ranger that's really great Picard's interactions with her are friendly and telling I would say in a lot of cases those two circle each other quite a bit through this entire uh, this entire episode I like the idea that um, she is uh, that that seven is taking on kind of a uh, kind of a old west vibe by drinking bourbon straight up and taking the law or into her own hands and everything. The Ferris Ranger or the Fenris Rangers also sounds like a interesting name. Um, I would like to see this planet or where they are operating out of. They need money, and that is another really big thing. Money gets brought up a number of times in this episode and of course if you watch star trek first contact you would know that picard says specifically money long no longer drives us you know we are driven by the will to you know better ourselves and our society so this is quite the fallback or at least a uh, something that maybe is a little bit subversive to all of these speeches that picard has been making and of course he makes a lot of speeches in this uh, episode and i can't really think of any that have been heated well Outside of that, we get to meet Maddox. We get to meet um, Bejazel, which is a difficult name for me to say for whatever reason. So if I mess it up, I'm sorry. But uh, we get a, uh, a a strange look at at how 
the criminal underground kind of works in this episode. We find Maddox looking rough and worried, drinking Tranya, and of course he is drugged and taken uh, taken basically prisoner by this crime syndicate. Now, it looks like his lab was destroyed by a molecular solvent, and I think that's interesting. Of course, that could have been the one that they used on Dodge, and that would make sense. Uh, again, Maddox needs capital for his resources, so looks like his facility must have been a non-UFP sanctioned facility. And of course, with the ban, that makes sense. And it seems like the Romulans are on a synthetic like synthetic life destruction rampage. So how does this connect to the artifact? Is what I now I thought Maddox might even be dead right at that moment, but turned out he wasn't. And um, we get to a very disturbing death on his end much later on. I just want to talk a little bit about the opening credits before I push a little bit further into uh, the other points here. There's a lot of shard motifs. When Maddox gets uh, knocked out, he falters and breaks a glass and shards fall everywhere. Interesting how moments later we have the open opening credits happening and all of these shards moving around. Also, there's an eye motif that I keep just noticing over and over again of course what happens to each is terrible and horrifying and is kind of what made me not want to look at it but if you looked at about seven minutes and 13 seconds into the episode when they're in the intro you see a biological eye and then a robot eye with a kind of a glow uh, and they kind of morph into one another so i really think that we've got pieces of stuff and ways of seeing that's really starting to uh starting to kind of come forward we see Picard relatively unfamiliar with this place called Free Cloud as well. Looks like a lot of secrets can be kept there and uh, kind of reminds me of like Swiss bank accounts and offshore ta tax havens and stuff like that. It looks like a place where people can cheat. Of course, I enjoy the uh, the little riffs between um, Elnor. He, he definitely doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, but he makes the most of it by uh, kind of pointing out what he sees in things and uh, kind of getting the interactions that people are making. And I can tell that obviously around the writer's table, they all must have talked about the choice to make free cloud corporations, criminal organizations a thing. It also m must be to make Picard's world more like our own now, rather than what we watched in the 90s. Rafi goes through quite the, uh, the arc in this as well. Um, uh, uh, someone with extremely good uh, computer sense. She is a, an ops genius, I think, in a lot of cases. And her son um, definitely doesn't really want much to do with her. And he seems very mad at her. And he's mad about these crackpot conspiracies she has. And um, there was a bit of a connection to Mars. When she was looking up his profile, I read backwards. There's something about Mars there. So that could also be something important for us to uh, get a get a handle on in that uh, in that respect. Of course, we've got a lot of revenge taking place in this, and Dr. Gerardi, wow, I uh, was not expecting that even re remotely. We find um, her with Maddox, uh, and uh, looks like they're trying to make something from scratch as she's watching kind of like a, a memory video or something like that. It's all replicated ingredients rather than the replicated pro product, and I think it refers to process an organic element, something hand, um, a touch much like what uh, Noonien Sung would do. And I think that's also really important. He also says there's an alchemy to it. And later he mentions that Daj and Soji are perfectly imperfect. So I think with uh, making cookies and all that sort of stuff, it, there's something about that imperfection that makes things more human and more real. Of course, when you see data, you can't 
help but look into what we would call the uncanny valley of artificial intelligence. And I think in this respect, the reason why Dodge is able to lay so low and so can Soji is I don't think they're perfect. Well, I don't think this conversation would be perfect without introducing our guest for today, a very good friend of mine, a fellow brother in Trek, Mr. Jamie McGregor is joining us today. So Jamie, how are you doing? Hey, Barry, how are you? Uh, wonderful. Oh, the, I am. Uh, how's the internet there in Canada? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, I do have to say that um, we're, 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 we're hoping for the best. We had a couple ups and downs uh, happening from the start, so that's interesting. A little bit of background for, for Jamie. He's, of course, the, we would like to say, kind of the fifth beetle of uh, Polytrex in a lot of cases. Um, both he and his sister, Lyrian, have done quite a bit. Lyrian designed the current logo for Polytrex. She did. And, uh, and Jamie is uh, a contributor. And also, uh, we met, actually, way back in the day on Disco Trek a few times and uh, just sort of kindled right. a friendship from there. And now we're three STLVs deep of uh, hanging out with each other, and we still talk. So this is a good thing. 100%. And how good it is to be on to talk to you about an, an episode of Star Trek that no one seems to have any opinions about. Uh, it no. certainly hasn't split in the fandom in any way. Uh, we were all expecting last week, I think, when we saw the previews, we are all expecting a lighthearted romp through Space Vegas. Uh, we certainly weren't expecting three brutal <laughs> deaths. Uh, but that's no. what we got. And uh, it's been interesting to see the world kind of split a little bit. If you exclude the people who are already uh, predisposed to uh, dislike Trek for reasons that we won't go into on a, on a, on a respectable uh, show like this, um, we've got, you know, some people arguing, ooh, even in the comments already tonight, you know, not con mm -hmm. not not happy about the torture porn. Meanwhile, you've got the opposite side saying, "Well, hang on, there's a shock value there that puts you in Seven's headspace." Uh, yeah, there's you know people saying, uh, "This is relentlessly cynical," and others kind of going, "Well, actually, it's a it's an honest examination of some of the real issues that are that we face in today's world." So. Given that there's a little bit of truth on both sides, uh, I rely on Barry DeFord to explain to it all to me uh, on Picard Live on Sunday night. So happy to be here to watch that happen in person. Well, that's great. Uh, well, I kind of had to rattle through the Picard maneuver, and folks might notice that it is a little bit disjointed. I, I tried a slightly different format, kind of looking more conceptually than linearly, and that kind of has a lot to do with the idea that this episode does cover a lot of things, and uh, I would say that it sort of serpentines a story that is, at times, yes, extremely shocking, and at other times, I think, whimsical. It, it really does sort of, the, the pendulum swings one way to the other, and I think we can talk a bit more of that, but uh, Jay Amy, you've talked. To, you've wanted to maybe just bring up a few things. Um, I remember you mentioning something about wanting to initially just Picard maneuver our way through Seven's arc in this episode. What are your thoughts on on Seven popping into the show and then shooting her way right out to the credits? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one, isn't it? Right? Because um, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, you've got a beloved character returning to Trek, and there is some. I've, I'm a little uncomfortable with the concept that you've got. Uh, that Seven has turned into this kind of soulless vigilante. Um, you know, on the on the one hand, I'm looking at at the four years of character development we had for Seven on Voyager, which was ve very much about her, you know, gaining her humanity. And um, you know, it's it's sad to see some of that humanity lost in in a sense of cynicism through this episode. Um, uh, I do think that there's some rationale behind it. I mean, it was always Janeway that was keeping Seven's more extreme 
instincts in check. Uh, and I think the very the power of that first scene in the show shows, hang on, we're, we're dealing with someone who saw Icheb murdered directly in front of her. You know, that's going to have an impact on her uh, on her life and her attitude towards things. So I do think there's 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 two sides to that. Uh, one thing I, I would say, while I was kind of thinking about this, I was kind of hoping that that I could I could think about w the direction that Seven has taken as being actually a kind of um, a positive one in the sense that 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 her instinct for justice is is kind of something she's acting out on, uh, and in particular in the episode, Picard references that he admires actually the Rangers' goals, their tenacity, their kind of uh, you know their approach. Um, and you know there is some defense from seven saying what she is doing is pointless hopeless exhausting but the only thing worse is giving up right having said all of that even with all of that in mind i'm 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 still reeling from at the very end when she looks straight down the barrel of someone she's about to you know kill and say well picard still thinks there's a place in this world for mercy and i didn't want to disillusion him <laughs> you know holy crap that's a that's a gut punch right from a, a beloved character so you know that's a that's what what, what are your feelings about how the, the the direction that they've taken seven uh post voyager i think there's a lot of irreverent rage in her um she is she is angry and she she wants revenge and and i got a bit of a of a quentin tarantino's the bride vibe from her to some degree uh in that sense that that it that she will have she will have what she is after and that kind of dogged determination um sort of the relentless hunter much like you know um the bounty hunters of old uh in uh in parts of of the world i mean reference to the idea of ranger i mean we can't help but think about uh, uh you know the united states in sort of the mid 1800s and all that sort of stuff where where there was sort of that kind of concept of lawlessness and everything and uh, these these people who would quote unquote always get their man kind of thing but i think there's there's a lot more to her in terms of her dimensions that we just couldn't fit into this arc so we did get a very sort of yeah maybe a little bit playfully cynical like hey i don't want picard to feel this way because you know you know how he is kind of thing and and i do think that that to some degree idealistic speeches and pontifications on human nature sometimes don't work. And sometimes it is just a matter of, okay, I've, you know, you did something terrible and now it's time to die. Um, and as much as I don't like that idea and would much prefer sort of, you know, us be able to negotiate our way out of everything in this place of desperate times, unfortunately there are desperate measures and uh, yeah, it's a killer be kill world in the uh, broken down neutral zone. And we are preparing for the Seven as Vigilante se uh, series, right? <laughs> everyone's everyone's prepared for, uh, you know, the Starfleet Academy show and the Pike show. No, Kurtzman's going to give us Seven as Vigilante. How, how about that? Would you be watching yeah, that? Would you watch that show? I would. And Dan Ireland is saying, forget go. the Mandalorian. Give me a Seven Vigilante series. Absolutely. That's it, I'm just going to fly through a couple of comments here that I've uh, spotted here. Um, some people are saying, you know, like they couldn't handle the scene itself i fully i fully um like that um yeah jackie uh, hackney says i love how she pr uh, project or uh, protects picard's hope by not telling him she plans to kill in the end of the episode absolutely do you, uh, marina question. Do, you, do you think yep. picard secretly knows i don't know i'm i wonder you know, i think he hoped I about that i hope he i hope he 
does I hope he's not that sort of um doe-eyed, I guess. I'm I'm sure he must have some inkling that that she will probably eventually get her revenge. So sooner or later. And I do think Rios even kind of in code said that, like, oh, you'll find her again. And then when he puts the the transporter thing there, I think yes. they sort of had an unspoken understanding, mm -hmm. yep. which I think is important. Um Marina uh, Kravchuk, nice to see you, Marina. She says, it's. Uh, I think it was presented exactly in such casual matter to drive the point of how badly things deteriorated in the former neutral zone. Also ties into how uh, the XBs are shown to be treated. Absolutely. So yeah. that's about uh, Ichib and how things were happening. Um, we've got Arend here. Nice to see you. I thought that Picard knew she was going back to get her revenge. To some degree, yeah, I mean... As you said, you know, how much did he actually know? I think we'll we will know in time uh, in that respect. Boy, everyone's commenting so fast. Here's someone new, um, <laughs> Cedric Wah. Nice to see you. Um, I don't even think they have scratched the surface of what's been going on with reclaimed Borg. No, I think there is going to be a lot more here. And I think if you know the pre-screeners were looking at this, this might be the reason why they gave it a second season already. Is this is already showing that ten episodes is not enough for for this story to be told, which I'm happy for because I like the twenty-four season situation and i don't mind if they are connected or unconnected it's all good but uh no definitely we are we are moving very very uh, uh into this i think we should probably look at getting into our uh, next segment though into no pips no problem as i am noticing we're already 20 minutes uh in and it's uh what a good conversation so the far comments so are flying I know <laughs> I can't keep up. So yes, let's move into our next segment called no pips, no problem, where we look at the fact that Picard is no longer a part of Starfleet. Neither is Annika um, and how this is going to change actions and attitudes. And obviously the way seven has, uh, has been acting. She definitely doesn't mind. I mean, she never really was officially a member of Starfleet, I guess you could say, but uh, both of them don't seem to have any problems without any pips. And the first thing I want to talk about is Picard's acting and the outfits. Um, what did you think about that scene where they went down dressed as like Hanna-Barbera characters? Yeah. Uh, interesting one. Hey, um, again, we, we, we kind of got the sense from the previous preview, this was going to be a bit of a romp and it was great to see, you know, Patrick Stewart chewing the scenery a little bit uh, from that <laughs> yeah. point of view. Um, I liked, I liked the fact that they seem to have switched for one episode, probably because of how this, the episode ends, they've kind of switched Girardi out and included now Elnor as the comic relief in those scenes, uh, which, yeah. which I thought was great. Cause of course being Australian, Hey, uh, space Legolas from Melbourne, I'm all for, uh, his involvement in this series. So, you know, uh, uh and there was another great interview on, uh, the ready room this time with, um, uh, with Evan Evagora and Will Wheaton, which is which is which was great to watch as well. So um, I loved his little bits of interplay, and they they managed to bring the the comedy in. Your point earlier that the the show certainly went from one way to the other in terms of tone. That's certainly something you'd have to uh, point out was a was an interesting part of the design of the show because we go from you know Picard's outrageous French accent, uh, you know, right from a, a scene of torture and all this. It was it was it was an interesting kind of mix in this show, which which was which kept it interesting, right? Yeah, I, I found I found his his French crazy person supervillain uh, up there with Cisco's. Uh, yeah, there's... just very very similar. Just. Yeah, I don't know. Something about captains and, and being that way. Um, it's, and, and he has uh, history it, it was, with that, right? You know, the Shakespearean interests, the, you know, he was relishing getting yeah. into the role, right? I hope. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Debbie uh, says uh, free cloud totally reminds me of uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, I, I right Ragnarok. Yeah, it is definitely a uh, it's a silly place and it's a place that I don't necessarily think I would like very much myself. And that actually ties us really nicely into what I want to talk about next is money. What the heck? We have money now back in this uh, this wonderful world of Star Trek. And I'm not terribly certain what to make of that other than i'm not particularly happy about it oh what do you think you don't you don't like the money um no what do i'm I not think a fan of that well i think the universe is pretty big right and even mm -hmm. if the even if there are even if the federation may have been a post-scarcity world i'm fairly sure the rest of the various empires across the the galaxy are not and it doesn't surprise me at all that there would be outskirts of federation space in which in which places people trade use money do you know use whatever they can to make whatever money you know quark wasn't doing everything for uh you know, even Quark on DS9 wasn't doing everything for uh, for for all of the Bajoran uh, war orphans on Bajor, right? So, yeah. um, you know, the, the show has always understood, had this kind of understanding that um, the Federation doesn't have money and we do things out of altruism, but that's not the case everywhere else in the galaxy. And uh, the two kind of interact uh, as as best they as best they can, uh, depending on how the writers are feeling at any one time. And I'm I'm kind of at peace with that. I think it, it yeah. Um, yeah yeah. And and you are right. I mean, uh, there have been ways to exchange goods and services for an extremely long period of time, and definitely money um, predates even even the current economic system we have. You know, I mean, they were using it in feudal times and you know slave slavery times, and you know it's kind of been a thing that where we we try to replace things for value to try to you know uh, make make interactions and economic interactions faster. I guess for me, it's just the idea that. Um, if if the means are there, it's just unfortunate that it it wasn't able to to happen. And I would say that the type of society that Starfleet was in control of, it's very unfortunate that that seems to be on the way out in, in those areas. And I think when we when we look at how um, you know how how a society would be operating without the need of money and then all of a sudden being in a place where they would it I, I just see that as an extremely jarring experience and, and again kind of makes me think that why there's so much instability in these areas and why people yes. are literally harvesting organs out of other people's yeah. faces and, and stuff like that i mean it just goes to show that uh, um you've really got to watch your uh, watch yourself when it comes to money because uh, we're able, we're willing it seems to sell ourselves up the creek pretty fast <laughs> I, I don't actually think we know where free cloud is exactly do we i mean because it can't be in romulan space exactly because right at the end of the episode no. there's a rios is like oh you want me to go into romulan space that's going to double my fee mm -hmm. or whatever whatever it might be so it's kind of I, I don't know exactly where it is but i suspect it's somewhere on the frontier you know so. you, you could say its location is somewhat nebulous oh yes but <laughs> That was my Dan Davidson joke of the night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, Dan, if you're watching, you've infected me with your humor and uh, there are no medications to help me. Well, uh, Thad actually just wants to say to you, uh, Jamie, that he loves your DS9 shrine. And uh, of course, we all do. I've got the same picture that... Uh, Oh, yeah. that Jamie does it's it's up there and I'm not going to move my camera because it's a it's a very balancing art I have here there's laundry drying right there so I can't move anything <laughs> but yeah no it's wonderful um oh let's see here Jackie says is Romulan space the same as it was before I would say 
no, I think the whole place is probably completely upside down and backwards. But Daniel Ireland does say the money thing has been a confusing aspect since Deep Space Nine, right? The Ferengi have been using latinum for an extremely long time. Um, and that's a thing. And I agree with that. Aren says the Federation might not have currency, but the Ferengi and Klingons definitely did. So I know it's it, it's a it's one of my hangups and it's totally a, a Barry problem in that respect. Um uh, <laughs> Becky also says, maybe money is less traceable than credits. Picard never said that the rest of the universe didn't use money. No, and he's and and she's right. So again, this is probably just one of my hangups. It's always nice to see a world where uh, people just have the basics that they need without hey, having to worry about it. Run your own show, bring up your own hangups. That's what that's your entitlement. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. Hey, yeah, hey. yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. Well, I want to kind of get into a bit of a bigger uh, uh, a bigger piece before we start talking about uh, some specifics, and we're definitely going to get to our fan set spot here pretty soon. But uh, I want to talk about the neutral zone itself here. Uh, Dan has a really nice map set up. We can see the Romulan Star Empire, and uh, there's a lot there. I mean, you you can see Glintara, uh, Nelvana, you can see Romulus Remus, you can see all the way down. Um, with like you know all the different star bases i mean in that area we had balance of terror way back in the day um this neutral zone has been around since the age of kirk and if that is the case i mean there's a lot of permanence to this place and when the empire falters and fails i just don't see how at any at any moment people wouldn't completely see it as normal that uh, there would be such a big problem in that area um when you start having large sort of uh, like I, I, way i would think about it is if tomorrow just immediately the uh, republic of korea and the democratic people's republic of korea um, north and south korea uh, for uh, those of uh, the initiated in the deep and crazy politics of that area if that just disappeared tomorrow um that would cause a lot of havoc. I think there would be a lot of confusion. Um, there would be a lot of, uh, uh, probably a lot of violence uh, and, and it would be, it would come at the cost of the people in those areas. And I think in that space right now in this world where Picard is, obviously the neutral zone for the last 14 years has been decaying and degrading. And if Starfleet, you know, had all of these bases set up, I mean, they're all pulling back stakes, but I mean, some people might've even staked their entire careers on patrolling the neutral zone and doing things around the neutral zone. And I mean, we're talking about probably tens of millions of people suddenly out of work, uh, if you could say it that way. And if you know, when people lose their jobs, so in the case of Rafi, in the case of, of Picard, uh, they kind of fall apart. And I think that's because people in those post-scarcity environments don't have to base themselves off of their careers. They base themselves off of who they are is what they do. It's like a form of actualization and they've lost that. So I think the loss of the neutral zone would have a massive sociological impact on, uh, on both of them. What would you say to that? I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the, we can't actually, we can't actually imagine, I don't think, although that's the whole point of Trek, to imagine this kind of universe, this kind of world. But I don't think we can have the foggiest clue what would happen if so many people across so much uh, space all of a sudden descended into chaos. Um, you know, and what what the writers here of Picard are doing are basically setting up Politrex for the next six years worth of content, right? You know, so that you're mm -hmm. able to delve into this in, in, in more detail. Um, one thing I would add to that, if I may, is... 
the perspective that the Federation is, has not gone through. It's not like things have been peaches and cream for them either over the last mm -hmm. however, however long. Uh, we've been watching the adventures of Star Trek. I mean, I saw a post somewhere online that uh, I, I looked at. We've got the Zindi incursion. After that, you've had the Romulan Wars, the Klingon Wars, the Cardassian Wars, the Tsenkethi Wars, the Borg have, have attacked Earth twice. Uh, you've had the Rise and the Fall of the Marquis, uh, the, the Dominion War in which millions and millions have died, the destruction of Romulus and Remus, and now the attack on Mars. I think we've got to understand that this show takes place in a, in a lot of context, and the notion that um, that that Picard and and certainly Patrick Stewart said, look, he didn't want to do what he did before. But if anyone thought that they were going to do a show in which it was everyone wandering around the space Marriott in their pajamas again, uh, you know, you've got another thing coming. And I think that's really basically what the the writers have, have tried to provide us with a, a picture of a world in chaos. Uh, or a universe in chaos, and uh, you know, we we have to actually grapple with that in a way that we haven't had to grapple with it, perhaps in a, in as many other shows. So, absolutely, and and that does sort of underscore the violence and the mercilessness of of this area. Um, Chris Hackney has come on, and he's saying here that you know, power abhors a vacuum, right? And he, he, of course, there is the larger quote to that, and and I think he's he's basically put it pretty much perfectly. Um, Let's see what Aren says here. My best guess, if they're attempting to show uh, that the first uh, first world uh, confederations, like the Federation, basically let a civilization collapse and did nothing to deal with the power vacuum. Mm. Yeah, we've got Syria, right? We've got Iraq. We haven't, we haven't seen that in on Earth at all, have we, Barry? No, never, never, never. Where we see, you know. Um, uh, it's not helping our fellow human beings uh, while we watch them literally collapse into utter chaos. And and my heart goes out to, uh, I mean, I, what what cold comfort it is. I mean, um, you know, it is it is absolutely heartbreaking to see what's happening in parts of the world like that. And if there's anything any human being can do, you know, give give to organizations like uh, Doctors Without Borders, you know, um, UNICEF, those those sorts of uh, NGOs that that can do something and can help. I think that's uh, that's super important. We um, we want to uh, we want to make sure that that when we do discuss you know the idea of, of these sorts of things that yeah I mean obviously the writers came from a place of going yeah like let's talk about some real world things and so when we do say like I don't like this and I don't like seeing this do consider the fact that we are not uh, coming out of a vacuum and that and that these things are actually things that happen in our real world today. It sucks that, that we have to see it though sometimes and, and it, it can be kind of jarring, but uh, I guess that's how it goes. And uh, may I also say we're kind of five episodes into a whole. So, yeah. I mean, I've still got a little, I have had some hope that the, that the uh, overall overarching attitude of, of, of positivity is going to come through on in the show. And so exactly how I feel right now, having watched episode five, I mean, if we're going to plot the standard plot variations of your regular, you know, if this is a 10, 10 hour movie in, in, in that sense, you know, halfway through is about when things should be, you know, pretty bad. And, and we're looking at things going, you know, how are we going to get out of this? And yeah, I, I think, I have some faith for now that the that ultimately the the sense of positivity um, and and the the sense of despair and, and and frustration will will have a positive um, ending to it once the show is finished. So I'm hoping to reevaluate exactly the not in my stomach right now after we finish mm -hmm. episode ten. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you think about that, that the hero arc, the hero journey sort of story that, that human beings tend to do, uh, usually in the middle is when things are at their absolute worst. And I mean, that goes back to Greek, Greek plays and stuff like that. So to see this in, in the place that it's at, you know, obviously it's, uh, it, it is kind of logical to see it here. I mean, if this is how the season ended, I might be a little bit more upset, right? Gotcha. Let's uh, have a look at two more comments, and then we're going to get on to our fan sets a bit here. Brian Yates, nice to see you. Uh, I don't see any other major powers being willing to help the Romulans, even if they are capable, unless they're doing it for their own gain. No, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, the Cardassians definitely didn't step in when the Federation didn't do anything, and I haven't heard a peep from the Klingons, so I'm assuming um, they're probably invading from the south right now. <laughs> or I guess there is no south in space, but there is invading from where their border touches the Romulan border. Um, in that respect, they're probably moving their way up, sort of like you know the Ottomans would if the Russians in 1910 were having some trouble. You know, I gotcha. Uh, there's a whole host of yeah. Where is everybody? Yeah, let's. Where are yeah. the Klingons? Where Where is everyone? Uh, it's why yeah. is it just on the Federation to to help out? Although, uh, to be fair, if you look at that map, I mean, it's largely on the Federation, right, to help. Yeah. And the Federation actually is on the other side of the Romulan Star Empire, too. The Federation actually has pockets in both the Romulan and Klingon uh, Federation. I think that sort of shows you that it's hard to show a three-dimensional um, map on a two-dimensional surface. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's just how it goes. You can't sell three-dimensional books, Barry. You can't sell three-dimensional books. No, you're absolutely right. Well, I think this is a good time to talk about uh, selling other three-dimensional things that we quite love. So before we continue on to our next so segment, smooth. I'd like to take segue. I know, right? I'd like to take a brief moment to uh, talk to you all about our sponsors uh, and Trek family at Fansets. And there are so many ways to express your fandom. But if you're looking for artistry, care, and attention to detail, and a friendly, down-to-earth customer service, you won't find anyone better than the people at Fansets. They've got fantastic pins of number one. And I know we want to see more of number one. But uh, I know he'll be coming pretty soon. I promise I'll get my uh, my Picard pin. I, the problem is, is it's just on my jacket. And I wear it all the time everywhere I go. So I keep forgetting. I get set down. And then we start recording. And I'm like, oh, right. My Picard winery pin is still down there. So it's in the... Uh, I could take you guys through my house or something one time. And I'll, we'll go and show it you on my jacket. But there are new Picard pins coming soon. Not only will we see micro coup character pins for Soji, Dr. Gerardi, Rafi, Picard, and Rios. But we just found out from fansets that they'll also be doing a line of Picard episode pins. And there will be more info on this coming soon and it's not just star trek there fanset spans all genres from alien to dc and as an offer for picard live listeners fansets is offering a discount of 15 percent off any order while picard season one is happening just enter picard live that is p-i-c-a-r-d-l-i-v-e all caps no spaces at checkout and get 15 percent off your next order Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor for the Trek Geek Network. So yes, I love uh, I love their stuff. And uh, it's always nice to bump into Lou John and the Fam Jam uh, down there. They're always very accommodating and friendly. Is there anyone that goes to STLV for whom like they don't just walk straight in the vendor's room uh, and turn and go straight to the uh, Fansets desk? Like as their number first thing to do there? I think practically everyone does that. Yeah, I typically just send, like, I just save money and buy just from them, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've actually kind of gotten a bit particular. There's a lot of really great people in the vendor's room, a lot of wonderful people to meet, a lot of really cool things to find. Um, but definitely, uh, fan sets are always a treat. 
Well, I think it's time we get on to our next segment, which is the Stargazer. Now, the Stargazer is something where we might look to see what is in store for Jean-Luc. Maybe some answers may lie in his past. So the Stargazer, of course, a hearkening back to that lovely Chicago deep dish saucer pizza uh, of a uh, ship that he used to fly around um, with the amazing hangar deck in the front. And no deflector dish. I've always uh, found that entertaining. And I know there's an explanation out there somewhere of why the Stargazer gazer class didn't require a deflector dish but um who knows right there's there's an explanation for everything out there on the internet barry <laughs> there certainly is sorry i'm getting a little bit of reaction there's a bit of fuzziness happening and i think it's my microphone oh is that me hmm live television everybody okay we're good we're good. You haven't dropped okay. out yet. That's good. I was pra- I've been practicing like some kind of act to do in the case that you drop out, but hey, we're going right see, so far. See, now the Canadian internet people are going to be having uh Yeah, no, they're they're going to start giving us trouble. Well, let's get into it. So first of all, will this be the last of 7 of 9? Um I'm pretty sure we're going to see her once again. I think I think, you know, Jerry Ryan is too much of a of a Star Trek resource to squander on merely one episode. I would love to see her uh, come back and be able to build more on the character that she brought in. And yeah, I mean, we didn't get the same seven. And uh, at first, yeah, and I was a little like, oh, you know, come on. But uh, there was a comment, and darn it, I can't remember who said it along the uh, the line of comments there, because so many people have been engaging uh, this time around. Um, they just said that, you know, it's been 14 years, right? There's been a long period of time, and that's since Romulus uh, uh, had its, its big yeah. situation. So Honestly, there's been a really long period of time for Seven's character to change. I mean, I think about who I was 20 years ago, and boy, no one would want to know who I was. I was what? I was 16 years old. Like, ugh, no, wasn't a wasn't a cool dude. Back you were then, a vigilante so. in England, weren't you, Barry? Uh, not at 16. No, oh, definitely oh, not. Okay. That was 10. Right. That was 10 years ago. Um, so you know, this scene and, and that we're showing right now is one uh, with the uh, Bajazel and and uh, I just feel like whenever I say that, I'm sneezing. Bajazel. Uh, kind of I, I remember this 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 um, YouTube video of of Tom Holland and Benedict Cumberbatch just uh, confusing Bajazzled and Bedazzled for like a couple of minutes, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't hear this name without thinking of that uh, that video. But um, and yeah. and by the way, Seven is coming back uh she literally handed picard Chekhov's gun and said here is my calling card you know so uh she's gonna be back for sure definitely but this scene you know where she basically as you said stares down the gun barrel at at this person um you know who she feels just uh, an immense amount of anger for and you know talking about the the idea of humanity i think is another really important piece here she said something very specific about each other she called him her son. And I think that in and of itself is so incredibly important to understand that family is not always people you're related to. But at the same time, I think really that's all they had, right? Their their family was the fact that they were part of the Borg Collective. And though they aren't a part of that anymore, I think we're starting to see that there's a partners for for everybody in, in, this, in this galaxy. And though the Borg definitely represent a um, what we would consider... A, a very unsavory element of of sentient life, they still are. And I think back to Iborg and the fact that you know they decided not to put in that algorithm to basically genocide the entire species. So as we have seen the Borg develop and grow and become something more, we do actually 
we do actually have this this greater element of what they are. They aren't just robotic space zombies out to completely take over have a communication apparently they have recreation uh, if we take Nurek at his word and his little uh, board cube slip and slide thing he did the last episode so looking down the barrel of the gun at uh, at Bejazel shooting her dead yeah it's not very Starfleet but uh, well neither is uh, neither is seven and I just think there is more to the story that's yeah. that's all I'll say there. I just think there is going to be more to the story than that. I don't think the last view we will ever see of Seven of Nine is her firing away out of out of that place. So um, I think we need to I think we need to just take a chill pill and mm-hmm. uh, and and see where this goes. That's yeah. that's that's what I'm thinking. Absolutely. Well, is this the Trek we know? Uh, I think is the other big one. Uh, everyone's thinking back, and so I thought we would stargazer ourselves back to uh, 1989, 1990, 91, when we were in the heyday of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I remember watching episodes and being just totally blown away by what I was seeing. Uh, I look back at those episodes, and and I'm still filled with the same nostalgic love, and I mean, I never saw TOS, you know, until until long after it's uh, it's it's syndication and everything so that one doesn't have the same effect on me though i love episodes of it as well but um you know i look back at some of the episodes and, and i can kind of see the props and i can see this and that and you know now that we have high definition you can even sometimes see the paint on the actors faces and everything and i think the writers did a fantastic job with what they had but we have to understand that time has passed not only for star trek but also for the world itself and we have better technology we have more uh, more sophisticated computers and yeah i think we have to just understand that they're going to do more if they have more right smoke them if you got them kind of thing what do you say um yes and and there is a there's a very interesting uh, Michael Shabon's re- responding to some people on Instagram, and he does make a, a, a very interesting. Uh, definitely go check that out if you get a chance. Uh, comment on the use of, of violence in the in the show, and there's been a lot of uh, discussion that you know Star Trek would have had more um, uh, more of this kind of content if it wasn't for network sensors in 1987. You know, or um, you know, and and that the ability to be on streaming allows them more freedom from that that point of view. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tend to see it a slightly different way. I think that there is some loss of the ability for Star Trek to be an intergenerational thing. Like, can you have your six-year-old kid and your grandma all watching the show together? Well, not really if uh, Elnor's going to be beheading people left, right, and center. But yeah. uh, but the way I think that they've actually set up the Star Trek world is a little differently. And I think they've set it up where they're going to they're gonna be able to provide something for everybody. So we're going to have uh, lower decks. There's going to be the Nickelodeon show. And I, th- I think it's a reasonable expectation of today's um, today's you know, modern television that we, we have a show here that is targeted at a different audience. And there is going to be something for everyone to love in Trek. It's just not all going to be one show, the only show that happens to be on at that time, right? So that's kind of yeah. the way I'm approaching this. This is this Star Trek that we know and love. For me, it's more it's more the message. So if we get to episode ten and the message and the uh, is is the same, I, I really don't care how we got there. If they're providing different avenues for people to all enjoy Star Trek, yeah, actually, that's that's an extremely well way of putting it. And and yeah, I mean, we've got we've 
got discovery which is you know very energetic and and spunky i think in a lot of ways right it's it's got it's really trying to it came out of the gate really fast and hard um whereas i found picard um definitely learned from from some of uh, some of the directions that discovery took um it's not quite as whoa it's definitely trying to introduce us to a part of the Star Trek universe that we weren't sure we were ever going to really see. And, you know, if we don't like what we say or what we see, I mean, you're right in the sense that we've got discovery, we've got lower decks, we've got section 31, we've got Picard. So I think, yeah, it's not necessarily going to be a one size fits all show. Like, like deep space nine tried to be like Voyager tried to be like enterprise tried to be NTNG. So, um, and I think, I think TOS, you know, was really trying to appeal to sci-fi fans specifically, right? It wasn't necessarily trying to get, you know, every single person tuning in, you know, uh, I mean, they wanted people to buy uh, RCA color TVs, but outside of that, you know, um, yeah, the, the one-size-fits-all Trek just, yeah, isn't necessarily going to be a thing anymore. I think we're going to be able to kind of a la carte our way through um, this sort of stage of, of newer Trek uh, television. That's a good way to point, uh, point it. Yeah. There's a bit of a uh, conversation here I want to get into. Um, Becky says, I uh, still miss uh, the TNG episodic TV, but realize that TNG values have to be maintained and not taken for granted. Um, I would agree with that. Uh, William, uh, William, Bill comes on and he says, I don't think uh, the TNG values, yeah, William Smith comes on to say, I don't think the TNG values are being taken for granted. Picard is those values. And I think that the moral center will still ring true. And that is, uh, and also win in the end. end. Um, I butchered that, but uh, I think that is how William Smith would want us to say it. Uh, but that is correct. I, I think both, uh, both Becky and, and, and Bill um, mentioned kind of where people are coming from on this argument. And I guess perception equals reality in a lot of cases. If you don't like Picard, then you're not going to like it. Um, but if you want to see it through, uh, I think there is a message. And you're right, Jamie, that the message is going to come at the end here. I think the message feels a little bit busy sometimes. But um, even going from episode two to episode five, I've even seen some producing choices being made a lot better uh, as well. The way they produced um, them preparing to go down on, on to Stardust City and also being yeah, down cool. there at the same time that was really well produced it was really well put together and i yes. enjoyed how they uh, how they did that so um definitely there's a little there's a little bit of me i must say that thinks that episodes one to three because i know that they extended them from two to three probably should have been two and i kind of feel mm -hmm. that maybe this show would have been better as two episodes and some of the mm -hmm. explanation and some of the you know, some of the taking us through the stages rather than some of the jarring cuts might have might have actually worked better as two episodes. But hey, that's just, you know, that's just yeah. wrong. Yeah. And Ren puts it well. He says, uh, to be clear, I enjoy the series a lot. I can deal with one scene, can deal with one scene that I didn't care for. And that's a really yeah. good way to put it, right? Like, I love so much of, uh, of Deep Space Nine, but uh, I mean, there's episodes I skip every time. You know, I mean, there's an entire Trek Geeks uh, series set to do we watch it or don't we watch it? Would we recommend it or wouldn't we? I mean, as they say on there, every episode of Trek is going to be someone's favorite episode. And this might be someone might be doing backflips after this episode going, wow, look at all the stuff that happened. It's awesome. I was so, doing that. There you go. Episode. I, I loved. Uh, right. Yeah, I loved most of it. I thought it was great. So, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm going to move to the next uh, little bit here. The Conclave of Eight. It was mentioned super quickly by uh, by Gabe, which is Rafi's son. And we haven't really talked a lot about Rafi, and I feel bad um, because you know we are kind of coming up to the the hour point that I try to get the episode to. She has quite the arc, and you know, talking about getting off her addiction, um, the idea that you know she gets shut down by her own son, and um, I don't know. It's a, it's a family thing. It's a, it's a, it's a deep cut. And um, yeah, I just, all I have to say is uh, I want to talk about her more when uh, she's, she's up a little bit more because uh, I think she's a really dynamic character and she's going to be, she's going to be really well used in the series. I think she's acted very well. Um, she's a lot of texture and, um, and a lot of pain in her heart, but um this idea that she knows something or that she's aware of some kind of conspiracy with her son being so angry at her. Um, yeah, there's something there. And, and his mention of the conclave of eight, I, uh, I really hope we, we get some more information on that. Did, I, you, did you catch that? I did. And I'm sure we're going to find out who they were at a later date. Um, the, I, I must admit I was a little kind of thrown because we just had an episode about child abandonment, you know, and Elnor and Picard and the father figure mm -hmm. who left them. And, I, and then to have that again in the next episode, I was kind of like, don't know where we're going with this, but I think what they're trying to do is to provide a lot more background and a lot more motivation behind Rafi as a character. And I've got nothing against that because I think she's a fascinating part of the series and is going to play clearly, you know, she's back on the ship, uh, is clearly going to play a big role. And I suspect that some of the stuff that she was working on in the past is definitely going to come back in the last five episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, Becky uh, brings up, uh, I wonder if the Conclave of Eight are a Romulan and Starfleet conspiracy, though, don't, though we don't know exactly what it is. I think I like mm, that. lightning struck pretty close there, I think. Um, I would say that's that's pretty much, hmm, I never thought of that. And this is, this is why I love just everyone on the side here talking so much like you guys are fantastic um that is interesting debbie said uh, i'm concerned about the son's uh, romulan wife and i think dan ireland is uh, responding right back saying how so so i'll be interested to see what debbie has to say if uh, if that is kind of going on there but uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, dr gerardi and uh, i think she's a game changer and uh everyone's got a different theory as to exactly what went on here uh, yeah. I know Bill or William, as he's now known, uh, he, he's on record as thinking that the, you know, Gerardi is a synth. Um, I think, uh, props to John Krikorian who was on your show a couple of, couple of weeks back and was like, no, no, Agnes, not on the level. Uh, and of course he was spot on. And the, so the question is now, uh, the most interesting one I've heard, um, the interesting theory was that in actual fact, maybe Agnes is a synth version of the real Agnes because if Agnes is a synth, I, I don't think, I think you can create a fake history for someone who just lives in Seattle and, you know, and comes out of nowhere. That, that's one thing. I don't think you can create an entirely fake history for someone who's a famous cyberneticist at a really prestigious institution. So I would suspect maybe that if, it, if Agnes is a synth, then maybe it would be, it would be a synth, a copy of a real person, which of course has happened in, in TNG previously in, in inheritance. Mm -hmm. So uh, that there's all these different theories. What, what's, uh, what's yours? Well, I'm taking the idea that they made cookies together out of components and parts and imperfection. And I'm thinking that there's got to be some kind of organic or at least synthesized organic element to Dodge and Soji that Maddox got from Agnes. 
And it, I, I, like some kind of weird, I, <laughs> For for lack of a better term, and I'm not coming up with a better term, and if this was a recorded episode, I would have taken some time to talk about it. They copulated somehow. <laughs> they 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 made Dodge and Soji somehow. Agnes and Max. Like a chocolate chip cookie? Yeah, yeah. Somehow, I think he was always looking for that perfect being, right? And he loved data for his perfection and all this sort of stuff. And in the, you know, 40, 30 years that, that you know, he went from that, I think... Gerardi and Maddox somehow combined the human characteristics of the human genome and was able to synthesize it. And he used her and him as that synthesis to make Soji and Dodge. That's my, that's wow. my, uh, and you know what? Maybe I way overthought that. But no, no, I that's, that's cool. It's at this point, I would like to make an entirely unrelated point mostly which is to say that this episode had a hundred percent less creepy incest vibes from the two romulans and i was kind of happy with that so uh yeah. we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll see more of them next week uh but um i was i was i was due a week off i thought yeah, so, yeah. yeah. not gonna not gonna lie I've really enjoyed John DeLarco and I'd love to see him more. I, I yes. was saying just recently, even the way he's walking, he's, he's still Borg walking like he, that kind of floppy footed walk that they would do when they would be in their, you know, the actors would be in their basically their, their rubber suits and stuff. And I think it's just hard to move around, but uh, no, it was really, really fascinating. And they're the Romulanisters. Uh, uh, people are starting to call them, I think. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, William Smith has said Romulanisters. Romulanisters yeah. <laughs> I don't, he's probably going to be very angry that we've given him such a, a jaunty British accent, but uh, well, here we are. Well, um, another little piece here. Uh, who will chew, who will Picard chew out next week? I think is another big question we can oh, ask will, here to maybe kind who of will chew out Picard next week is the question. Oh, sorry. Who will chew out Picard next week? Uh, yeah. So episode one, the journalist chews out Picard, right? For resigning episode two, Clancy gets into him for his hubris, yep. right? Episode three, yeah. Rafi. Hey, you, you, you were very distant, right? You know, into you, into you, Picard. Episode four, Elnor. Why did you abandon me? You know, Picard. Uh, episode five, seven, into, into Picard again. Hey, you're constantly, you, you gave up. Here I am trying to do something. I'm like, this is a, this is a thing. I'm keeping a little list here and I can't wait to find out next week on who chews out Picard. So uh, that's a little thing we can look forward to, I'm sure. The entire se series has space dad issues. Uh, uh, ha, ha, ha. Oh. Yeah. See, everyone in the comments right now is laughing. That's uh, that's for sure uh, of that joke. Let's see what uh, some people have to say here. Um, oh, the new Picard series top. Where did you get it? Oh, no, it isn't. No, this is uh, this is a Voyager series one. I got it. Uh, I got it on eBay a long time ago. It's an Anovos. So, uh, yeah, it's uh I try to keep it as clean and nice as possible, but thank you. I tried. I decided to to give you guys something more to look at. Uh, I actually was walking. Uh, I was doing some grocery shopping today, um, thinking about the episode, and uh, I I wanted to get an eye patch. I was at a drug a drugstore, and they had an eye patch there, and I was like, oh, do I? And I decided not to, but now I'm feeling kind of bad. How many Rios uh, and Picards are we going to see uh, with that get up at SDLV? I reckon. Oh man, the the colors, the colors. Uh, William says, uh, uh, who chews out Picard coming next week on the Trek Geeks Network in 2020? Eh? That's he's no my, Irish. He's, no, that's Canadian. That's my Canadian oh, accent. My 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 deep Winnipeg uh, accent, right? Uh, you always have to sound like you're asking a question, eh? Um, 
yeah, there's a uh, Rios in, in, in his, I, I, he looks like a character from Hanna-Barbera uh, in a lot of cases. There have been people who've said that he, he hearkens to other sorts of uh, other characters and stuff. But again, I've always loved the flamboyant outfits. I mean, they used to wear iridescent house coats. Uh, back we almost made, oh, oh, he's back. I might be back. You're back. Ooh. <laughs> I think that is uh, that is a sign we might be, uh, might be in the hour. Yeah, getting to the end of the hour. So I want to um, just maybe pop into a couple quick uh, supplementals. And I think, Jamie, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know we had a callback to, to Quark and uh, Rios helping him uh, handling the Breen and everything. Um, but I do want to maybe pop into the idea of so many deaths, right, on violence and gore in this series. You had some takes on that, Jamie. I want to, I want to hear. Well, just, I think we, it's, it's a little bit like who chooses Apicard. We've had, uh, we've had a lot of deaths, I think, you know, Daj died in the first episode. We had F eight off a few people in the second episode, the Romulan thug died in the pool of acid episode three. We had a major beheading episode four, and we had three brutal deaths this episode, each um, you know, uh, bejazzled um, and Girardi <laughs> and Girardi. So um, Girardi offing Maddox. So, I mean, the, 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 the body count is racking up on this show. Yeah. And um, I wonder if that's something that the writers were aware of. Um, and I, I'd, lo I'd love to see everyone escape with their lives next week, perhaps. Is that something we can ask for on Star Trek Picard? I'm hoping so. Yeah, I guess it's good we don't have a red shirt roll call for this one because... Uh, you're wearing red shirts. That's it. Yeah, and here I am wearing a red shirt. I don't you know are wearing a red shirt. I'd be careful. I'd be careful. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. the wrong Richard. This is command now, right? It's ops who die in, in TNG. But uh, yeah, I uh, I have to say it's uh, a lot of death. My one question I want to ask here, just sort of as the last bit, though, is Picard says something really interesting right at the beginning when he talks about um, needing to save Soji. He says, uh, someone who will likely die if I don't. Now, I think he means if I don't help her, but the way he yeah. says it, and it's specific, part of me wonders, and I know there's a second season of Picard coming out, so I don't think they can have Picard without Picard, but... He cannot die before season two. I'm just here to tell you, Barry. Yeah, he can't, but I don't know. What do you think? Like, would would Picard dying at the end of one of these series be a good or a bad thing? Is it something that we we need or don't? I, I'm sort of pontificating, and maybe I'm I'm biting off more than I can chew internet-wise. I am not going to make a comment on that issue other than to say I am 100,000% sure Picard will survive season one of Picard. There you go. That's what I, that's yeah. what I think. I think he will. That but is... I think you're right. I think you're right. In that moment, there was a, it was just, the, it was the turn of phrase, right? That you, you picked up mm -hmm. on just how he said it. Um, and, and in that particular moment, it was something that, uh, that piqued the interest of, of, seven right because it was a it was a moment mm -hmm. of hey here is someone who needs to be helped here is someone that uh that will otherwise die if they don't get assistance and that is what spurred you know that was the point at which seven turns on the heels and and re-engages into the episode and so i think it was a crucial moment um but i mm -hmm. don't think it's a harbinger of of picard's death even though as i've just said one of them has to die an episode so we've got five five left and i don't know how many <laughs> cast characters we've got so he's on the list he he is technically on the list. That is absolutely uh, a certainty. But I do think that um, as most Star Trek episodes go, we typically will have uh, um, additions made and, and more things happening. I find, you know, 
back in the day of our episodic episodes, they would kind of come up and down and up and down for, you know, there would be kind of like little rest periods, right? Take me out to the hollow suite and, and stuff yeah. like that, that would kind of give us a bit of a cleanser. I don't know if that's going to happen in a 10 episode series. I think we are just buckling up and I think it's going to get more intense as we move down the line. And, you know, now that I'm kind yeah. of in dialed in, I'm I'm kind of ready for it. Like yeah. maybe to some degree this episode was trying to give us an idea that like, hey, you know, um, we're gonna get pretty down and dirty here and this is how it's gonna be. I'm almost wondering though if it's going to be maybe a bit more artifact related, if we might get a Soji and Hugh heavy episode with uh with uh Narek and, and everyone kind of on that side. We got a you know, nothing happened on the artifact this time around. So I think they might do like a meanwhile in Borg space kind of thing. Um that would be kind of nice to see someone in the comments i did see scrolling past someone indicated that uh john delaco has has already said that his scenes with patrick stewart were some of his favorite so there's definitely yeah. going to be interaction between hugh and and picard in the upcoming episodes yeah. i really can't wait to see those two uh back together again i think it's going to be just uh, absolutely wonderful wonderful thing okay. so next next week on picard live we will consider the sixth episode of star trek picard titled The Impossible Box. Now, I'm pretty sure that might have something to do with that old artifact because it is sort of box-shaped. Wouldn't you agree? Mm, yes. There you go. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, maybe. Okay. Maybe not. I so mean, I always think of... Teachers, I don't get... I don't get... Uh... I don't get that. <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. In the meantime, for more great Star Trek discussion, check out the other uh, podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even trekgeeks.com. And speaking of see it or skip it, I kind of brought that uh, in a little earlier. 14-month break has passed, focusing on Star Trek Voyager Season 2. Here we go. And uh, I'm excited uh, to hear that one. Plus, if you can't attend live stream on any given week, fret not. You can download the audio version of this podcast the next day. Just search for Trek Geeks Picard Live on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, we'd like to thank Fansets, and we'd love to thank the wonderful fellows at Five Year Mission for providing us with the music at the beginning and you can check out their stuff as well well where we will call it a night jamie you've been fantastic thank you so much for coming on and everybody who has been commenting goodness i think we could even just do a comment episode at some point um maybe uh maybe near the end after the finale we could just do a big sort of forum episode where we try to just rattle off as many comments as possible and get everyone talking what do you think i'm i'm thank you so much for inviting me on it's been an absolute pleasure to be on here with you uh love chatting trek with you at any time any place and uh, thanks to everyone for engaging on the comments. Um, so much, so much to talk about in this episode, and so much to talk about in the next five, I'm sure. So, uh, looking forward to a wild ride into the finish of the show. Wonderful. Well, thank you everyone for for coming on, and uh, we will see you next week. Until next Thursday, when we all get to see the impossible box. I hope there's a lot of discussion, and it's been a real treat. So, live long and prosper, everyone, and we'll see you next week.